All right, so let me tell you what we're going to talk about tonight. I have literally wrestled with the Lord for days over this message. I, I, I've wanted to talk about anything but this. And, and the Lord has compelled me to talk about this tonight. And I don't know why it's such a strong burden to talk about it, other than I believe there are probably many of us sitting in this room, and we're live streaming this message tonight, so we have hundreds if not thousands of people watching right now online around the world. I don't know who this is for tonight. It may just be for me as a reminder. But I'm going to talk about a topic tonight that I believe needs to be talked about. And senior pastors, if you want, I'll email you these notes, and you can preach this this Sunday. What I'm about to tell you today, you can preach this message this Sunday at your church, and it will be one of the most memorable, remembered messages that your congregation will ever hear because it's a topic that most pastors shy away from. I've taught this message on a Sunday morning to New Life Church. And the title of this message is, How Do Affairs Happen? Now, I know that's kind of an uncomfortable topic. And I want to say up front, I'm not here tonight to make anyone feel ashamed if you've had an affair and you've repented before the Lord and you've gone through a restoration process. If you've had this kind of failure in your life, I'm not here tonight to make anyone ashamed. I'm not here to remind you of your awful past. I'm not here to stir up memories that have already been healed by the Holy Spirit. That's not at all what this message is intended to do. What this message is intended to do is to be a warning and to, be a, uh, to clarify and to shed light upon something that the enemy wants to trick us into doing. Affairs are rampant right now in our churches. You would be shocked at how many couples in your congregation that look like innocent, good, sweet church people are very close to having a tumultuous, devastating affair in their marriages. Right now, in our American landscape, there are more people involved with extramarital affairs than any other time in the history of our country. And this is, this is a problem that we need to talk about. And in, in the last 15 or 20 years, I've been a part of counseling sessions, not only with people in my congregation, but with pastors and leaders who have found themselves on the other side of this moral failure. And I've discovered some truths about how it happens. And I begin to ask questions of the Holy Spirit. I begin to uh, meet with, some, uh, with serious counselors, scholars, students of the human nature, asking them, how do affairs happen? And I've boiled it down tonight into a, a really simple matrix that you can see. And I want to say this up front. In just a moment, I'm going to walk through 12 steps that... Everyone who's had an extramarital affair, they have progressively walked through these 12 steps to end up in a place of brokenness in their marriage. And for anyone here that's been married, uh, almost, and if you were honest, and I hope you're being honest, and I want you to be super honest with yourself and with your spouse tonight, most of us have been to step three. All of us, in fact, I think have been to step three in this, in, in this 12-step place that we get to. Now, to all of you that are unmarried, don't check me out tonight, because let me, for two reasons. One... Many of you who are single have a desire to be married. And what I'm going to give you tonight is some of the best pre-marriage, pre-marriage leadership counseling that you can get. I'm going to equip you tonight, I hope, it's my desire, that through the Holy Spirit that you're going to be equipped tonight that once God does bond you and bring you to a place of marriage, that this teaching tonight is going to help you have a better marriage than you've ever imagined having. Secondly, if you're here tonight and you're single... You're a target of married people to have affairs with. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're married or unmarried. Having extramarital uh, sexual relationships or sexual relationships outside of marriage are devastating to all of our lives, whether you're married or not. And all of these steps can be, can be followed whether you're married or unmarried. So I want, this is for everyone listening tonight. So I want you to turn to the book of Proverbs. And I want to, we're going to look at several scriptures in the book of Proverbs on this topic tonight. And... Um, I, I ask this question, uh, you know, none of, no, no pastor, no leader in the church wakes up one day and says, you know, today I'm just going to wreck my marriage. I'm going to wreck all the years of ministry that I have, and I'm just going to have an affair. It, nobody, it doesn't happen quickly. It, it, it seems like it does because all of our, most of us in this room have, have had experiences with church leaders that have had extramarital affairs, had moral failures. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But in, in other times when I've said, how many of you have had a spiritual leader in your life, like a pastor, a significant spiritual influencer in your life that's had a moral failure and disqualified themselves from ministry? Uh, it would be over well over half of us in this room have already experienced the pain of this. 
I, I, some very close friends of mine who are in pastoral ministry have, have had moral failures. I have watched firsthand the devastating effects that this has not only on the local church, but on their families, on their own lives. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy us as people, as human beings, number one. But Jesus said, if you strike the shepherd, you'll scatter the sheep. I don't think the temptations, we were talking about this earlier tonight, I don't think the temptations to have an affair are any more intense upon us as spiritual leaders. They're not. I think this is a temptation that all of us as adults have to confront. It's not just, uh, I don't think it's any more intense or any more uh, pointed or, or, or steered toward pastoral leaders necessarily. But the effects that it has upon churches and upon people that we influence is, is devastating. And I'm here tonight, hopefully, to save you and to save some churches here from this devastating uh, problem that I think is wrecking the local landscape of the church right now in America. So how does it happen? I mean, so what happens? Where does it all start? I believe these, these extramarital affairs these start with us believing a lie. And I, I want to tell you some of the, like the four really common lies that we begin to believe. Some of you sitting here tonight are already beginning to hear these things come to your mind. You're already beginning to wrestle with these thoughts. And maybe you haven't believed this to be true, but you're wrestling with it tonight. You're thinking about it tonight. Maybe in your marriage tonight, there's something that's broken or wrong. And, and, the, and the enemy looks for opportune times to come to us uh, in our relationships. Especially, he, he watches that when we're, when we're broken and when we're, we're having trouble. And he comes and plants these lies in our heart. Here's the most common lies that I've heard the enemy uh, not only speak to me, but to speak to a lot of people that I've been around. Number one, this, the lie is, I deserve to be happy. And this is a predominant lie that's being spoken and believed in our American culture, not only in the church, but outside the church. You'll hear this a lot from people who have nothing to do with Jesus. Our hedonistic society uh, believes this sincerely, that the chief aim of our life is to have pleasure. And, and if you're standing in the way of my pleasure, then you're my enemy. And this is the predominant voice of our culture is that I deserve to be happy. I deserve to have pleasure. Pleasure is something that, I, I'm deser- I, that is a right that I have. And the enemy comes to us and says, you deserve to be happy. And you're not happy in your marriage. And, and so he, then he, if you believe that lie that you deserve to be happy, which, by the way, is not a promise that Jesus gave us. Can I hear an Amen. Here's what, here's what Jesus said. God loves you and I have a difficult plan for your life. That was worth the conference right there. That's it. That's, that's what Jesus would have said to you. God loves you. My father loves you. But he has a difficult plan for your life and that's why I've come to help you. So the first lie we believe is I deserve to be happy. Then he compounds that. If you believe that to be true, that you deserve to be happy. All your circumstances that line up properly, the second lie that he'll come and kind of compound the first lie with is that another man or woman can make me happy. So if you think you deserve to be happy and you're not happy in your current marriage, guess what? The enemy will say, well, there's another man or a woman that will make you happy. I just have really bad news for you. They, they won't. They can't. They don't have the ability to. It's a lie. Here's a, here's a third one. Here's a big one that a lot of people, I've heard pastors say this to me, to my face. Oftentimes they'll say, um, I married the wrong person. I was young. I, I married when I was young. Uh, and uh, I, I, you know, I just wanted to be married. And I married the wrong person. I made a mistake. So I deserve to start over. I, want, I, I think God would be okay with me starting over. I made a mistake. It's not like, you know, like I bought the wrong car. And I, you know, this, I, I bought a two-door when I needed a four-door. So, you know, I'm just going to correct the mistake by buying a different model. No pun intended. Here's another one. Here's a real common one that another lie that comes to us that the enemy wants us to believe is, I'm not good at marriage. I'm not good at this. Too much work. I'm not good at it. What they won't say is that they're committed to celibacy. They won't say that. <laughs> they just, they're not committed. They're not good at being married. You know, some people are good at being married. But I'm not good at it. I'm not wired that way. And, and, and they believe that to be a lie. First of all, marriage is gloriously difficult work. I've been married. I, I am a, not an expert on marriage, but I'm very experienced. Been, we've been married 24 years. We just celebrated our 24th anniversary. We got married in the seventh grade. And um, it was... Um, <laughs> 
I'm from Louisiana, so that makes a lot of sense, right? We were the scandal of the seventh grade when we got married. A lot of people didn't think we'd last through high school, but we have. We've done well. And um, <laughs> we did get married young, but not that young. And uh, we're not related either, so stop thinking of that. And, um, <laughs> but what happens is, is once these lies, once you really begin to entertain and believe these lies, then the, the enemy begins to take you down a very narrow, a very difficult path, a pathway that's leading to your destruction. And Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9 says this. This is a, a haunting scripture for me, and I believe it to be something that God wants to speak to us. Proverbs 10, 9 says, The man of integrity walks securely. I want to say to you tonight, if you have nothing to hide, then there, you, you're, you should feel good about this message. I hope I'm troubling some of you tonight already. I can tell, I read this the other day, that the best sermons produce a quiet room. It's true. Sometimes as pastors, we want immediate feedback, like a rah-rah, you know, give me some amens. But I didn't expect a lot of amening tonight. I expected a really quiet room. And I hope, I, I'm troubled. This is the third time I've preached this message. This is a third different setting, third different group of people that I've shared this with. And every time, I'm the most troubled person. Because I, I'm aware, I, I was telling someone today, I wrote down a list of people, spiritual giants who have fallen into moral failure. And at the time, we would have all celebrated these men and women as spiritual giants among them, us. And they were. And I, they were. They are in many cases. All of us in this room can fall into this. None of us are immune to this. All of us have the propensity to look up one day and after a series of bad decisions and bad choices with our thinking and our mind and our understanding, find ourselves in these places. And so once we begin, it says, a man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. I, I, I want you to know something, that the Holy Spirit will not let you get away with it. Because, not because God wants to punish you, but God wants to save you. God wants to save us. God, God, wants, to, God wants to stand between us and destruction. And that's one of the workings of the whole, the working of the Holy Spirit in my life, at least, is the working of conviction, of keeping my eyes open, my ears open, keeping me alert to the enemy's schemes and plans in my life. And I hope tonight that, we're, that the Holy Spirit's troubling us, unsettling us a bit, making us re-examine where we are in our marriage, where we are with the, with the people that God's called us to live with. So how do people end up in an affair? How do we, how do we know uh, when we've been foolish and we've taken this crooked path that he's talking about in Proverbs? So here are the 12 steps, the, the process that the enemy takes. Because again, all of us in this room, most of us in this room at least, we're aware of this temptation. I, I'm, this is not the first time you've heard that there's a temptation out there for you to have an affair, to have sex with someone you're not married to, or have sex with someone that's married to someone else. This is not the first time you've heard this. And I don't think anybody in this room walked in here tonight with that as a primary desire of your life. You know this is dangerous. And so the enemy knows he has to deceive us and trick us. He has to lead us gently down this path of destruction. It's not just a one-day decision to end up like this. So how does it all start? How does it all end up? Let me tell you how it starts in my mind. Step number one is this. Something in your marriage makes you lean away. Something makes you lean away from your marriage. Now, we've all been there, right? We've all, if you've been married more than 30 minutes, you've been aggravated with your spouse. <laughs> You're right. It, 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 happened, it happened to me during my wedding ceremony. Because I was 22 years old when I got married, and when we knelt to have the pastor pray over us, I wrote some really awful things on the bottom of my shoe, and my wife saw it. Here we are getting married. We're, we're not even married yet, and she's already mad at me in our ceremony. I mean, it's like, it wasn't, it wasn't off color. It was just being funny, but it was being a 22-year-old knuckleheaded redneck guy, stuff on the bottom of my shoe, stuff I would never do now, when maybe. But, uh, it, <laughs> but the point is, we've all had times where we're aggravated with one another, we're upset with one another. We bring out the worst in one another. It can be, it can be something silly like, uh, you know, you never take the trash out or, uh, you know, you never, you're not taking me out on enough dates. It can just be little arguments, little things that make you lean away from one another. And we've all had that leaving our house to go to work, go to church, go to our ministry, go to wherever, and you're aggravated with your spouse. And, and you know, we all think that, you know, marriage is 
24-hour romance. And it's not. It's gloriously difficult work. It's glorious to be married. I'm grateful for the marriage I have, but it's work. And there, it, because it's work, we, there, there are times little subtle things make us lean away from one another. And that's where it starts. And then the second step the enemy takes is there's an, a, there becomes an awareness of another person. Remember the, the lie, I deserve to be happy. And so step number one is, you didn't make me happy today. You didn't do what, I, that you, what you should do to make me happy. So I'm not happy. And so the enemy comes to me and says, well, you know, uh, Joe Bob there, he takes out the trash every day for his wife. And he's kept himself in a lot better shape than the dude you married. Just little things like that, just an awareness. Like, uh, you know, that this person, look, look how nice he is to his wife. Look how, look how many nice things he says about her. Or look at her. She seems to always smile. My wife never, hasn't been happy in two weeks. Just little things makes you aware of another person. Just aware that maybe, you know, there's a possibility that someone else is better than the person you married. And those little lies, no, we don't want to admit that. We wouldn't go home and say, you know, I had a craziest thought today. I, thought, I saw seven people that I thought were better than you. You know, we don't say that, right? Please don't say that. But let's be honest. We've all thought that. That's the way the enemy works. He, he looks for a time when you're leaning away from the person that God's called you to, and it's at that moment where he drops a little seed into that divide. So we separate a little bit from our marriage. We're aggravated with one another, and there's a separation in our relationship, and a little seed of discontent is then planted. Step number two is there's an awareness of another person. Well, here's what happens in number three. Now, this is where I think we've all been to number three, if we were, if we were honest. I will not ask you to raise your hand. But I, I can almost, I can tell you, almost every married person I know who's been honest with me has been to step number three. And number three is this, innocent meetings with that person that you've thought about opens the door for some innocent flirting. Just a little flirting. You told a joke that your wife hasn't laughed at in a year and they rolled. They thought it was awesome and it felt so good to be appreciated. Or your husband hasn't noticed that you've changed your hair color four times in six months. And this person says, your hair looks amazing. I'm trained at my house to notice every subtle change in hairstyles at my house. I know what lowlights and highlights. I know all of those lines. I, I really don't know, but I know how to say it to make her think I know. What, and it's beautiful. And I know when she comes back from having her hair done that I, I need to make comments. I, I've got to recognize every change. And, I, and, and, and these things are important in marriage. But innocent meetings then begin to happen with the person you thought about. You just happen to have it. No sin has happened yet. I want you to know this. I really believe this is not sinful. This is just natural human behavior. We're all adults in the room tonight, most of us. All right? So can I just say, can we just talk like adults tonight? We, this is normal, natural human behavior. Men are attracted to women. Women are attracted to men. Can we say amen? There's nothing abnormal about that. So to have innocent meetings where uh, something happens to make you laugh, to make you enjoy one another, that's not sin yet, okay? That's just saying, again, but it started that morning with being aggravated with your wife, having the thought that this person, this other person probably would be a better, would have been a better fit for me, or this seemed seem nicer. And then that day, this is how it happens. That day you have an innocent meeting. And they say something that makes you laugh, or you make them laugh and it just kind of makes you feel good inside. Something happens like that fed, uh, that fed an unmet need in my life at the moment. All right, now, now let me stop here for a moment. This is where you better cast the spirit of stupid off of you. <laughs> I'm being serious. I, there is a spirit of stupid. And if you've been pastoring for more than about six weeks, you know it, it's attacks. Everyone in your church at some point, including you. The spirit comes on you that if you do not take your thoughts captive at that moment, what I'm about to describe to you from step four to 12 can happen in a matter of days and weeks. Up to this point, really, honestly, it's all just been fleshly things that we need to get under the, the we need to bring it under the captivity of the resurrected Christ who we're, who's Lord of our life. We sang that this morning. He is Lord of all, chief's cornerstone, Lord of all, declaring lordship over your marriage. When I have thoughts like this, I've been, to, I'm gonna, I'll confess it, I've been to step three. And in that moment, it, uh, I declare lordship over my marriage. 
divine lordship. Christ is Lord over my marriage. And you must take these thoughts captive because once you get to number four, what I'm about to describe to you, if you do not take your thoughts captive, I don't care how many prayer meetings you've attended in the past. I don't care how much of a spiritual giant your community thinks you are. If you don't take step number three captive by the authority of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're headed for a train wreck. Great leaders, dynamic leaders, prayerful leaders have fallen into this trap. Do not sit there tonight. The enemy wants you to think that I'm talking to everybody but you. I'm talking to, my, I'm talking to me first and you too. We have to take our thoughts captive at this point or it becomes very dangerous. So here's step number four. What happens is meetings then become intentional. That made me feel really good. And my wife hasn't made me feel that good in a long time. She hasn't complimented me. Let me tell you a great book for you to read on this. On this. It's a side note, and I'm not trying to sell books, and I'm just trying to help you. This is a good resource. Emerson and Sarah Egrick wrote a book called Love and Respect that I think is must-reading for every married couple. And they really unpack the scriptural language of love that men and women have. And men have a love language of respect, and women have a love language of love. They, they hear things through the lens of love. Men tend to hear things through the language of respect. And it's a beautiful explanation of how men and women hear things and how they communicate and how they talk through things. But what happens is if women don't know how to respect men and men don't know how to show love to women, then number four begins, you begin to look for it in outside sources. And number four happens, it can be innocent, but you begin to plan. You know, when I was around her, she made me laugh. She, she complimented me or she made something stirred in me that I haven't had stirred in a while. It's just an emotion. It's a feeling, but it felt good. And so now I make sure that anytime I can be around them, number four happens, I plan to be around them. I'm, I, I, I'm not stalking them. I just make sure that I can, you know, if I see them, I go out of my way to go kind of hang out with them. Kind of, it may be a one or two sentences that I say to them, but it's feeding something that's beginning to grow inside of me. And the other person may not even be aware of it. In fact, most of the time, they're not even aware that any, they were just being nice to you. And if you ask them, were you flirting? No, my gosh, they would go, no, I'm not flirting. I was just being nice. But what happened in one person, it wasn't just being nice. It fed an unmet need. And number four happens, meetings become intentional and planned by one of the people. And then number five happens, it, 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 it begins to grow and expand what happens now, number five, is where danger is lurking at the door. Number five is, what, when it, while in a group setting, the two people ling, linger together in, in conversation. They tend to uh, find that they like talking to one another. Notice, nothing sexual has happened right now. There's no touching, no, nothing is being talked about sexually. No, no sexual language is being said. But thoughts are beginning to be planted. Feelings are beginning to be uh, fed inside of us. And so these, they begin to linger in conversations. All right, let me ask a question here to all the married people. And especially, I think it's both men and women, but I think sometimes we say this about women, but it's true about men and women. What's the most romantic thing that men and women can do together? We're all adults, right? Unhurried conversations are super romantic. Unhurried enjoyable conversations with each other is the most romantic thing you can do as a couple, right? It's just beautiful. That's why date nights are so important. That's why it's so beautiful just to have an unhurried, enjoyable conversation with one another. To talk. To think, to talk with one another. Enjoy the friendship of one another. And if that's not happening in your marriage, guess what? Number five happens because you need that. We all need unhurried, enjoyable conversations with people that love us, care about us. The primary source of that is in our marriage, though, but, and when it's not happening in our marriage, and then we find this other person that we kind of like, that we enjoy being around, the number five happens. We, we need unhurried, enjoyable conversations with people. And so these, what happens, these two people, their spouses can be in the room, but they begin to like linger a bit in unhurried, enjoyable conversations. Again, no sexual things are being talked about. It's just feeding an, a lack of intimacy that we've lacked in our marriage. Intimacy. It, it's, it's fascinating to me that how I can almost track a person's fall into adultery with their lack of intimate prayer with the Father. 
Because I think these two things tend to run in parallel tracks. When you, when you begin to look into your life and you've not had unhurried, enjoyable conversations with God, you'll start finding you're not having unhurried, enjoyable conversations with your spouse. And, and, the, and our, our primary source for, these, for meeting our needs for intimacy is God. It's not a person, right? Our, a man or a woman cannot meet our primary needs for spiritual intimacy, right? If you got married to make yourself happy, you just made a terrible mistake. If you got married in order to be happy, you made a terrible mistake. It's our relationship with God that fuels our inner joy, which makes us even available to be married. You can't even be happily married unless you're happily in love with God first. And so number five begins to, we begin to look for counterfeit things to fill the need. It's a counterfeit relationship with someone that's outside the covenant of marriage. And it begins to replace not only our marriage needs, but our spiritual prayer needs that's already been neglected. And then number six happens, and this is when, if you were on a roller coaster ride up to this point, I've been describing that slow clicking noise to the top of the first drop. You know, they do that by design. Click, 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 click. Last time, you can't go back after this next click. Click. Number six is the last click on the meter before you head into a nosedive. Because then these conversations shift to feelings. And this is when you are in a spiral out of control. You are headed to a bad place. And this is when I think sin begins to happen. I, I really, I'm, I'm a pretty vulnerable person and I'm, I'm very relational, I think. I don't have women who are my friends unless Pam's also a friend with them. I don't have separate women friends. I don't. There's a lot, I love, I, we have some amazing women on our staff, amazing women leaders in our church. Uh, I just don't have separate friendships with them. I'm friends with them. As long as Pam's with me. I can be great buddies with him as long as Pam's with me. I don't, Pam doesn't have guys that she goes have coffee with. I don't go have coffee with women as friends. Oh, Pam, we're just friends. I don't do that. You know, that's, that sounds obvious, but let me tell you something. There's a lot of that happening going on right now in church leaders, and they're justifying it. They're just my friend. Well, I can't be friends with you if I can't share my feelings it's very superficial if it is. If I'm a friend with you and I haven't shared my feelings with you, then I'm, not, I'm just a superficial friend. But if I'm really your friend, I'm sharing what's going on in my side of my heart. And let me tell you something. Men and women are designed to share those feelings in the context of marriage or courting. Courtship and marriage are the only safe places for that to be happening. I don't share my feelings. Yvette's my friend. She's my friend. I don't, share, I don't go into her office and share feelings with Yvette. And she doesn't share feelings with me. Because well, there's boundaries that you place between men and women for our own safety, Right? And so when you begin to talk about fears and dreams and worries and doubts and anticipations, you're beginning to share now the inner part of yourself. You're beginning to show, you're beginning to show something. You're beginning to show everything. You're exposing yourself. You're making yourself vulnerable to someone. And that person needs to be your wife or your husband. And that's why these conversations, these unhurried Enjoyable conversations need to be a regular part of your marriage because you'll find that somewhere else if you're not getting it at home. So once these conversations start shifting to feelings, now, now you begin to talk romantic language. Now you're beginning to talk sexual language to each other. Whether you intend to or not, you are. When you begin to share feelings with the person of the opposite sex, you're beginning to talk romantic language. And I tell young men this all the time, young men and women who are courting or dating one another, once you begin to talk about those kind of things, you're in a serious relationship. And you need to put boundaries around yourself because it's going to lead to intimacy. It's going to lead to physical desire really, really quick because that's the way we're designed. Our brain leads us to sex. Our brain's powerful. When we begin to engage with our feelings and our emotions, it stirs up all kinds of sexual things in our body because that's the way we're designed to live. That was the design of marriage. Share your deepest dreams and fears and worries and concerns and aspirations with the person that you love and that leads to great intimacy which leads to great physical sex because that's what happens the way we're wired to live but if you're sharing that with someone else outside of your context of marriage you're headed for a bad place and up until this point you can say you can justify it and say i'm not going to have sex with them i'm just i'm just emotionally connected with them 
Where do you think this is going? Where do you think this is ending up? I fell in love with my wife by getting to know her. I, I liked her when I saw her, believe me. I, she was a hottie. I mean, I, she's a cutie. And I think she's beautiful today. But I fell in love with her brain. I fell in love with who she is as a woman, as a human. So number seven now, now uh, number seven is where you begin to sneak around. And this is where you, get, uh, you have to begin to manipulate and cover up. Number seven is the two people have isolated meetings. And it's under the disguise primarily of a, of a legitimate thing. So you can say to your husband or your wife, hey, I'm going to be a little late. Uh, you know, we've got that leadership conference coming up. And I got to meet with her. We just got to go over some last minute details. So you can now, if, I'm, if you're clever enough and smart enough, you can begin to cover up these meetings by under legitimate purposes. I need to have some time with her, or with him, but for whatever reason. You can, you can justify it for legitimate purposes, but both of you are now aware that the reason you're really getting together because you enjoy one another. It's not about work anymore. It's a lie. Now you begin to lie to cover up these things. The lying begins now. And this is when you begin to really have, you really start to have to shutting, to start shut, you have to shut the door of the Holy Spirit at this point. And then number eight, uh, these, the two people have isolated meetings for pleasure. Now it becomes sexual. Talking, kissing maybe. Number nine, the embraces. Maybe it's, you begin to touch, you begin to, you know, we don't do the church side hug. Now it becomes the front hug. You're in trouble. Number nine, embraces become affectionate, playful touching begins, petting, whatever you want to call it. Eight, nine, and ten happen within, can all happen in one day. Number ten, now the embraces become very passionate. You've now given yourself over to this thing. You've gone too far now to turn back in your mind. And now you begin to really believe the lie. Man, if I'd only married this person, now you're really believing some big lies. Number eleven, adultery happens. You have sex. It's, it's adultery. And number 12 is when it all becomes public. Again, remember what Proverbs 10 says? Crooked paths will be found out. There's been affairs that have gone on for years and years and years. I just don't know if anybody's ever gotten away with it, really. At some point, because, because God loves us, he will rescue us from this by exposing us. He'll deal privately with us, but then he'll deal publicly with us. He'll always deal privately with us first. Do you know that? I mean, God is so gracious and so kind. He will deal so, he is so long-suffering with us in private. But at some point, he follows his own model that he spelled out for us in Matthew. You know, he'll, here's what will happen. He'll come to you personally, like he says for us to do in Matthew. It says, if you have a problem with someone, go to him personally. But if that doesn't work, then you take somebody else with you. Here's what happens in affairs He'll come to you privately and deal with you. He's like, don't do that. Don't do that. Brady, don't do that. Don't, 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 don't. And, and, and we're headed to number six, number seven, number eight. We're already at number nine. You know what happens? I've found this to be true. Somebody close to you will become suspicious and confront you. You know why that happens? Because the Holy Spirit is trying to give you yet another chance to come clean. Don't do it. And I've found this a lot to happen. Like I've had, this, I've had friends who I've had to go confront because the, the Holy Spirit has told me they're in a dangerous place. I don't know all the details. I just go to them and say, hey, is everything all right with you and your marriage? Or, you, and, or I'll see them in these prolonged conversations with the, somebody of the opposite sex giggling and acting like they're 12 years old again. And I'll say, hey, what are you doing? And I, I have two or three people close to me here. And this has happened numerous times in the last six years that I've been here and numerous times before that. I, I've had some bizarre encounters with people that'll come up to me. Uh, I, I say this to anybody that has a public stage presence. The anointing makes you much more handsome and much prettier than you really are. <laughs> and you're very attractive to people because God uses you for whatever reason and that makes you very attractive to people. I've had just bizarro conversations after church with women. And I, I really don't, I don't have a, a strong temptation. I'm really in love with my wife. I'm crazy about Pam. And I just don't have, like, I'm not drawn to that. I really don't. I, I, usually someone else has to point it out. I'm not innocent. I'm not naive. But I, it has to be pretty profound for me to, like, recognize it because I'm not looking for it. I'm not, my antenna's not up, so I don't get a lot of good reception. I really don't. I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm, just, I'm just so fascinated with Pam. 
And, and so I've had women come up to me and uh, say just bizarre things to me. And Pam goes with me to Guest Central. And I just want to say this to you. Wherever you're with people, having your wife or your husband next to you is, is I think, my wife has the strongest gift of discernment anyone I've ever met in my life. And she'll tell me, she'll say, Brady, you need to be, we just had this conversation recently about a woman that I thought she was just, this woman was completely innocent. And Pam goes, nope, she's not innocent. (laughs) And I go, and Pam's not a jealous type. Pam's very trusting. If you know Pam, she's super sweet, super trusting. She just doesn't, she's not jealous. She's not protective of me. She's very, you know, lets me do whatever. But when her radar goes off, it pegs out. I mean, she said, Brady, that's not an innocent that's, she's not innocent. I went, what? And she goes, no. You need to be on guard. All right, I'm on guard. <laughs> but I also have, uh, you know, Pastor Garvin's here somewhere. He's my dear friend, Garvin McCarroll. I've known him for 20 years. There was a, <laughs> there was a, a me- I met with a man who confessed to me that he, he, his wife had had an affair. And this man was a part of our church. And he told me, he's like, We're, our marriage is doing better now. We've wrestled through the pain of this affair. I think we're going to make it. But he was just asking me for some advice. And, and I knew his wife. And, uh, and so I, I prayed with him. He was in my office. I prayed with him and told him I would, you know, anything I could do to help, let me know. Well, the next Sunday, guess who's in Guest Central wedding for me? His wife. And she's uh, violating my personal space in Guest Central where we g- greet our first-time guests. And she's very attractive. She's a very beautiful woman. And she's way violating my personal space. And I'm trying to back up, and she's moving forward. I'm backing up and moving forward. And finally, she, and she's asking me feeling questions. She's asking me. She's, she imme- I'm very suspicious of people who immediately share their feelings with me. I mean, we, I haven't known you but 30 seconds. I know part of that is just being a pastor, and people feel like they can trust you. But there, there are certain feelings you don't share right away with anybody. And she was sharing feelings that she should have shared with another woman. And when she walked away, I told Pastor Garvin, I said, you, did you see her? Yes, yeah, sir. Um, if you see me having lingering conversations with her, laughing, smiling in the hallway with her, uh, talking about her, I want you to break my kneecap. <laughs> Seriously. I want, I want you to just break my kneecap so that the whole world will know that I've been stupid and I'm walking with a limp because of it. <laughs> And he does that for me. I mean, even to this day, if I feel like something is being violated, I just tell Garvin, Garvin, watch me. Please watch me. And Garvin loves me. And he would do that. He'd tell me the truth. He would keep me accountable. And so I want, I want to tell two things to be true. If, if you don't believe anything I've said to, tonight, and you're already determined in here, if you're determined in this room or someone watching online right now, if you're determined to go through with this relationship that's outside of your marriage, I want to tell you two things that are about to happen to you, okay? Number one, it's going to cost you more than we think. It's going to cost you more than you think. Proverbs chapter 5 is a sober warning from someone who knew something about women. You know, Solomon knew something about women. I mean, he had, what, he had 700 concubines and 300 wives. Think about this. Three times a day, he had to remember birthdays and anniversary. Three times a day, on average. This guy knew something about women. And when he was writing this, he says, Proverbs 5, verse 7 says, listen to this very carefully. Listen very carefully to the language here, okay? Proverbs 5, verse 7 says, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep, a, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. And listen, listen to the warnings. Lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. And you'll say, how I hated discipline. Nobody could correct me. Nobody could come and tell me different. How my heart spurned it. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of a whole assembly. I just read this recently, that, and it's true. That a recent study proved that 25% of men who have affairs bring financial ruin to their families. 25% of men who have affairs outside of their marriage have to declare personal bankruptcy because it ruins their finances. Devastates families. Listen to what he says. Your best strength to others 
your years to the one who is cruel, strangers feasting on your wealth, your toil enriching another man's house, your flesh and body spent, the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. It's going to cost you more than you think. Please, please hear me. I love you. I I care about you. I wouldn't even have this conference if I didn't care about you. I have a lot of things to do. We're doing this because we love leaders. We love churches. We love you. And I'm telling you, don't do this. It's going to cost you more than you think. And here's the second thing I want to tell you, and then we'll be finished tonight. The blessing is at home. The blessing of the Lord for our lives is with the wife and the husband of our youth. Now, I want you to hear this is again, Proverbs 5. Let's keep reading in Proverbs 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. And may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, not in a younger wife. Let's be clear about this. This Is clear what the scriptures say here, right? The wife of your youth, not a younger wife. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always, and may you ever be captivated by her love. So here's the question I have for you tonight. We're all worshiping something that has captured us. We're all in love with something that has captured our heart. So what's captured you tonight? What are you fascinated by? I just, I, just, I just went through this personally just a few months ago. And I don't want to say too much because I don't want to uncover this person at all because I love them so much. It's someone that I would have entrusted anything in my life to. You know, those relationships are really hard to find. And when I heard about the decisions they had made in their personal life, I was so heartbroken again. I mean, this has been a dozen times in my life where people who are close to me have just made the decision that I'm talking about today and devastated themselves. And after I got through being mad, you know, the Lord gave, you know, you go through seasons. You get, you, the first response is, I'm sad, then I'm mad, then I'm sad. So I, went, I was sad when I heard it, then I got mad, then I prayed, then I got sad again. That's when I called them. You know what they said to me? This person's in their late 50s, and they said, I lost my fascination with the things of the Lord. And that's where it all started. Something else captivated your attention, your imagination, your wonder. The the moment you lose your sense of mystery about God, you will lose your sense of mystery about the people around you. Keep, Keep a sense of fascination. The human mind, the human body, the human soul is a fascinating thing. It'll take me a lifetime to un cover and unravel and get to know Pam. I really have no ambition to lead a big church or write best-selling books or speak at any big conference. I have no ambition for it. And anybody that knows me personally, I have no ambition for it. You know what my great ambition is? To be married to the same woman for a long time. At the end of my life, look up and say, I was married to one woman. No one else. I want, I, want to, I want to finish the race with you. Let's finish the race together. I'm not here, again, I, I've been a part of some amazing restorations. I, I, please hear me tonight. If, you've, if, you're, if you have been divorced or if you have gone through an affair and you have been restored, I really believe in it. I'm a person of grace. I believe in restoration. I believe that God is a God of a million chances to get it right. I believe all of that. And I'm grateful. I know there's stories. I know people sitting in this room who are miracle stories, who have made terrible mistakes, and God has redeemed them and using them more right now than they've ever been used in their life. I totally believe that, all right? Totally pray for that and believe that. Cheer for that. But God's best design for us is to finish the race with the same baton in our hand that we started with, right? And I want you to take tonight. This is not supposed to be like the heavy downer of the of the conference, right? It's not going to be this down or the rest of the night. I, I, I told you, I wrestled for weeks. I didn't want to preach this message. I'd rather teach, give you some happy leadership talks and we all just cheer and go bowling or something afterwards. 
I just felt I couldn't, I mean, I've been, I would have been disobedient to the Lord not to teach, share this tonight. That's how strongly I felt. I mean, the Lord said, you'll be disobedient if you don't share it. I said, okay, I'll share it. I'm just here tonight. I'm, I'm just here to cheer you on. I want you to hear that in my heart. I'm here to cheer you on. I'm here to, I'm put, I want the, the Lord is here tonight to put wind in your cells. So here's how I want you to pray, okay? Are you leaning into your marriage right now or leaning away? Remember step one. It always starts with step one. This is the conversation that Pam and I have all the time. Not, not, probably not enough, but we do a lot. We ask each other, are we leaning into one another right now? Because we're rock solid. Nothing can separate us if we're leaning in. But if we're not leaning into one another, we're targets. We're susceptible, and we know it. And there are times when we're not leaning in. I didn't take the garbage out, or, you know, it's not anything major at our house. Just enough to aggravate us with one another. But in those moments, we have to recognize it and make sure that we lean back in to one another, that we quick to, we're quick to apologize, quick to say we're sorry, love one another sincerely and deeply. And marriage is gloriously difficult after that. It's awesome and hard work and awesome. So if you're here tonight with your spouse, would you just take a, even if you've been fighting all day, would you take their hand? All right. Maybe you haven't held hands in a while, but you need to tonight. And maybe you're here, but your spouse is not with you. Like tonight, we had some, uh, we took our kids out of school for two or three days. And um, so we had, Pam had to stay home tonight to really get, um, yeah, give me that. Come on, nose. It's already getting all mushy while ago. Sorry. Uh, thank you. And um, so she's not here tonight, but she's watching online. So maybe you're not here with your spouse, but I want you in your mind, would you lean toward your spouse tonight? If they're not here, kind of in your heart, lean toward them right now. And I want to pray over us tonight that you would lean in first to the Lord and then to one another. And then 20 years from now, can we get back together and cheer that we all finished the race together? Can we do that together? 30 years from now, get together and go, we finished it together. And we looked the devil in the eye and didn't believe his lies. If you're here tonight and you've already believed one of these lies, would you, would you, would you repent? Say, Lord, I, I, I'm... Lord, I'm, I'm sorry I, re- I believe that someone else can make me happy. I'm sorry I believe these lies. And I, I choose and I to believe the truth. That you knit my heart together with you and you knit my heart together with my husband and my wife. And then, then I want you to pray. I want you to say this to one another. I want you to look at one another in just a minute. It's going to get real gooshy in here, right? <laughs> You're all going to need one of these in a minute, right? So I want you to look at one another and say, forever. And always. And mean it. That's all I want you to say. I'm not going to lead you through any syrupy vows tonight. If you're here tonight and you're single, you know, I, I, I pray all the time for Abram's wife and Callie's husband because they're, they're probably alive right now. You know, they're on the earth somewhere. And I pray all the time for them. Pray, Lord, I pray for that wife you're, you, you've gotten for Abram. You're preparing her heart for him and him for her. I pray for the young man, you know, that he would get over his fear of me and at some point try to date Callie. That guy is going to be one brave dude to marry my daughter. He's going to earn it. But I pray for him. And I want you to say in your heart, if you're not married, but you want to be, you know, you're praying for your spouse right now. Say, Lord, when you send them to me, it's going to be forever and always. If you're married and you're with them right now, I want you to do that. When you look at them and say, forever and always. That's covenant language. Pam and I say that to our kids all the time, and we say it to each other all the time. Forever and always. That means there's no option B. There's no plan B for us. If we get aggravated, we're going to work it out. If we get mad, we're going to get glad. Because I don't have another plan. My plan is to stay married to that woman. And her plan is to stay married to me. Forever and always. Can we pray together, right? And we're going to worship together and we're going to have a good time. This is the heaviest message you're probably going to hear to this conference. But let's pray together, right? Father in heaven, we're so grateful. And so thankful that you're with us. Lord, I, I pray right now over every everyone watching online, 
everyone listening in the room tonight. Father, I, I pray that the spirit of truth would come right now and fill this room. I pray the spirit of truth would come right now and fill this room and fill our minds and hearts. That every lie would be exposed. Every false thing would be exposed as a lie. And the truth of the Holy Spirit, the truth would flood our hearts and souls tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, knit our hearts together one with another. Bless the marriages in this room. Bless bless those who are waiting to be married. Bless them, prepare them, strengthen them for the marriage that is to come. And I pray for young married couples and I pray for those of us who have been married a long time that our hearts would be knit first with you, that you would be our source. You're our source of joy. You're our source of peace. You're our source of meaning. And there is no other source but you. So let us first lean into you tonight. And Lord, let us lean into one another. And I pray tonight that the cord of three stands. Lord, the cord of three strands is not easily broken. And I bless, I bless, I pray right now that we would model marriage like we've never modeled before. That marriage, once again, would be seen as a strength, as a gift from the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's stand tonight. We're going to worship together, pray together. I uh, I want our, um, in just a moment, John's going to lead us some, some worship time together. Can I, one of the most, one of the most intimate things that Pam and I do together is worship together, pray together. It's really important, especially if you're pastoring. There are times when you can start kind of doing life like, with God separately because, of, you know, you're working at the church, right? But make sure even if you're busy at church, that you're not too busy to be together in church. Worshiping together, praying together, being in part of the church together, doing life together inside the church. The church is never a replacement for our marriage. The church enhances our marriage, not the other way around. Marriage first, church second, way way down the list. All right? So let's worship together, pray together. And uh, and if you... uh, uh, I want some of our pastors that at, when, when, when worship begins to settle down a bit, then I want our pastors, our leaders to come to the front. If you're here tonight and you just, you'd like somebody to pray, maybe you're in a crisis tonight. There's no shame in admitting that. If your marriage is in a place, maybe you're at step three or four and you know it and you want one of us to pray with you, we'd love to pray with you tonight and, and, and give you some resources. I, I can give you a ton of good resources, places that you can talk candidly with other leaders. But our leaders and our pastors are going to kind of be up at the front at the end of this night. And uh, if you need prayer, let us pray for you, okay? Don't leave here without letting us pray for you, all right? Let's worship together tonight.